This is Unfilter, episode 351 for February 24th, 2021. It's the same facility that was open for a month in the Trump administration, summer 2019. That is when Joe Biden said, under Trump, there have been horrifying scenes at the border of kids being kept in cages. And Kamala Harris said, uh, basically, babies in cages is a human rights abuse being committed by the United States government. So how is this any different than that? We very much feel that way. Uh, and the, these are facilities, let me, be, let me be clear here. One, there's a pandemic going on. I'm sure you're not suggesting that we have children right next to each other uh, in ways that are not COVID safe, are you? Hello, friends, and welcome in to 351 of the People's History Podcast, where I am practicing COVID-safe podcasting. I wipe down my microphone every time I lick it, every single time. Thank you. Thank you for committing it today, and I'm sorry that that's what I started with. No, that's not what we're talking about today. Today, I want to expand on something that it upsets me more than any tweet or statement that Donald Trump ever made. I'm very much a a sticks and stones kind of person. And what's happening today as I record the episode leaves me with so much despair that I I, I had to push myself to come on the air to talk to you guys about this today. It's it's so much worse than than the inappropriate tweets, and yet it gets so little coverage. So I want to talk about a couple of hearings that are happening today. A lot of hearings this week. Talk about a real... ugh. But this, but this particular week, there is a hearing going on today as I record on disinformation on social media platforms and the news. And Congress, ha- Congress members have released a letter encouraging the shutdown of cable news channels like Fox News, uh, UAN or OAN, and uh, Newsmax. And this is this is a growing trend since be- since really the election since since when since we saw Trump removed from Twitter. We have seen a growing expansion of censorship. And now we're getting to the point of saying cable news channels like Comcast should start censoring what the news networks broadcast. And how long until that ring expands to podcast? Because my God, listen to the misinformation out there in podcasting. Oh, my goodness. It's it's as bad as Twitter, only worse because it's hours of misinformation. And this is a massively important topic and one that I'm I'm I am rather rather upset about. And I feel like because of that, I can't articulate it to you in a way that would sound reasonable and not angry. So that's why I want to turn to coverage that Sagar has done on The Hill this week that really helps put this into context. And Sagar has done a great job documenting, and The Hill just does a great job in general of documenting a lot of different things going on. But in particular, they've done a great job documenting media censorship. And I want to play this because I think it sets up the rest of our conversation better than I am in a state to do so today. Well, nearly every single day since the January 6th Capitol riots, we have seen an evolving elite scheme to infringe upon our civil liberties and crack down on American citizens. In a way, this is understandable. There literally was a storming of the Capitol. It was terrifying, and it was a terrible day in American history. But many of the most cynical people in our society are using this relatively isolated, crazy event to justify a grab bag wish list of center left establishment concerns, which will do immense damage to our country. I want to pause here every now and then I'm going to interrupt Sagar. I apologize. 
this is a lot of like I've said, this is the de- this is the way the Democrats are behaving the same way that the Republicans were behaving after 9-11. They are using this as their 9-11. And in fact, one of the very frustrating things that's that's been really been grading this week is the pandemic and the riots at the Capitol are name dropped every 15 seconds like 9-11 used to be to justify every single conversation that can possibly be had. And it's it's so tiring. And will only further split us apart. Some of some of this wish list involves the government, like we've seen with a half billion dollar deployment of troops to Washington, D.C., or the call for a new domestic terror law. But it's in the private sector where things are becoming especially dystopian. You saw the essential banishment of Parler from the Internet, the removal of the president from Twitter, the mass purging of accounts all across social media. In some isolated incidents, maybe these were even justified, but they have birthed a new politics which is the most dangerous of all. A politics where political officials themselves are not forced to make big and monumental decisions by compromise and through the legislative process, but instead one where Republicans and Democrats either beg or castigate social media companies for essentially governing. That's where we find ourselves today, in one of the worst proposals yet, with Democratic members of the House Energy and Commerce Committee writing to Comcast, AT&T, Spectrum, Dish, Verizon, Cox, and Altice, asking about their own role in, quote, the spread of dangerous misinformation. The committee members also included Roku, Amazon, Apple, Google, and Hulu in their letter. So what do these members mean by limiting the spread of disinformation? They want these cable and internet media companies to stop distributing Fox News, OAN, and Newsmax. Let me repeat that again, because they themselves are against content put out by Fox, Newsmax, and OAN. They want the cable carriers and internet distribution companies to drop them. I am not the biggest fan of Fox, OAN, or Newsmax, but that does not matter. This is a threat to press freedom, censorship, and immense escalation. Let me explain using a useful analogy for my friends in tech. It's called the stack. Now, for those coders out there who watch the show, if I butcher this, I'm sorry. He doesn't do so bad, so just bear with him. You'll get what he means. But basically, think of our current entertainment complex as a stack. At the most basic level, you have the user. Above that, you have the company. Above that, you have the infrastructure that supports that company. And above that, you have the government, which sets regulations which govern the infrastructure. With me? Censorship is essentially creeping up the stack. It began with inconsistent standards for deplatforming users. People on the right and the left lobbied companies like Twitter, Facebook, and others to take individual users or company accounts down. In some cases, again, this was justified, but the general unit of censorship was limited to specific platforms. But something has changed under the Trump era. The consolidation and the unit of censorship began to get bigger. It began with individual companies all making the same independent decision at the same time, like Facebook, Twitter, and Google all banning someone at the same time in response to a specific controversy. But things culminated up the level of the stack when Parler, when Amazon Web Services decided not to host that company anymore. That was the first company-level deplatforming. I think you could look at Alex Jones as one of the first uh, user-level deplatforming, and then the Parler one is one of the first company-level. Or censorship that we have witnessed, and it made the rails of media distribution themselves fair game in this process. 
That's where we find ourselves right now. Major lawmakers on a powerful committee in the House of Representatives are begging these private companies to take down Fox, OAN, and Newsmax. How should you feel about them? It should be immaterial to the question of whether you believe a handful of select distribution platforms should have a say in what they beam literally into your house. And I think you'll recall uh, after the election, one of the things I said is what's going to be tricky for people, especially those of you who maybe consider yourself more to the left, is there's going to be some stories that only Fox or Newsmax or RT will cover. Not because they're not true, but simply because the other established outlets are not covering that information. The legacy media is not very interested in it. And it's the media that is trying to break out from that legacy demographic that's more willing to cover it. And so you have to weigh every single item on its own merits and be willing to at least take in information, even if you ultimately reject it. At least you took it in. And by doing this, they essentially shut that possibility down. They're saying information is too dangerous for you. You're too stupid to figure it out on your own. So they need to step in and they need to moderate it for you. And I wouldn't be surprised after watching the hearing today if this isn't more of a bit of a bomb to start the negotiations. So they start with complete censorship at the cable television level, at the network level, essentially. There's essentially calling for network level censorship. That may be their starting position. And then over time, they work down to, okay, well, you're going to need to start flagging your content as opinion. You know, like how YouTube has those built-in disclaimers about COVID or the election anytime you watch a video about that. You need to start doing that in your lower thirds or somewhere on your show, clearly delineating this as opinion. Now, this audio at this event sucked. All these virtual events, they suck so bad, so they don't make for really good clips for you guys. But I wanted to give you a taste of it. It's being cheerleaded by Congressman Doyle. And uh, I'll give you a little sense of the beginning of the proceedings. Good morning, and welcome to today's joint hearing on disinformation and the crisis it is creating in our country and for our democracy. So for those of you that uh, are just listening to the MP3, like 95% or more, because unfiltered.tube is still really new, uh, what we're seeing is the typical worst-case scenario Zoom conference setting where he is in his head is in the very lower third of the screen. So we're actually the shiny dome of his bald head is closer to eye level than anything else. And then behind him, I can see some like 1994 television VHS combo setup. Uh, and of course, the audio is just absolutely horrendous uh, because all of these are, of course. And uh, this is a bit of this is a bit of what I had to sit through all day. I want to thank our panel of witnesses for joining us virtually today. While the committee has held several virtual hearings so far, this is the first one I have chaired. So please bear with me uh, as we get through this. <laughs> and it goes on and on. But what is actually a little more entertaining, since that audio is so bad, is watching Newsmax cover this event because in this event they're calling for censorship of Newsmax. So they're kind of they're kind of losing their marbles over it. All right, welcome back. As we indicated, the House uh, Energy and Commerce Subcommittee on Communications and Technology has started this hearing. We were telling you about uh, the gentleman you see speaking right now is a man named Michael Doyle. He's a congressman from Pennsylvania. He is the chair of this meeting. We'll listen in as they uh, present some of the evidence here. We do expect to hear from a number of uh, witnesses as well, including Soledad O'Brien, a former journalist or current journalist, I should say. 
<laughs> Soldad O'Brien came on. You may be familiar with her from the tech TV days if you happen to be around my age. Uh, Soldad O'Brien came on and argued that a big part of the issue isn't that all of the media in the U.S. is essentially owned by six companies. It is diversity in the newsroom. You see, there isn't enough diversity, and so how can we expect to cover areas that are diverse without diversity? And the problem is that the diversity hires were the most recent hires, you see. And so they're also the most recent fires due to cutbacks. And so the problem is diversity. It's funny because when I hear that, I think, well, why are there cutbacks? What's causing the cutbacks? What's what's driving that? But, you know, what, what do I know? Who's worked for CNN and Al Jazeera and others. We'll also hear from Georgetown University law professor Jonathan Turley. So let's listen in. We're kind of setting the ground rules. Here's the opening statement from Congressman Michael Doyle. And prevented so much anguish and grief. In the midst of this pandemic. Ah, yep, we've got to cite the pandemic. And you got to also try to work in the right as soon as possible. We also saw the rise of the Stop the Steal movement, fomented by former President Trump and propagated by members of the media that sought to dispute the outcome of our elections and overturn our democratic process. I mean, I think you would all agree a big part of what the problem was is how all of the media just kept repeating all of those election lies. And the media kept going on and on about how the uh, wait a minute. No, I seem to recall they censored everyone that said that the election was stolen. I, I seem to recall they removed the president from Twitter, and yet all of this still happened. It's almost like the industry-wide censorship and collaboration between government, tech, and media to stop any discussion about any irregularities in the election to the point of literally censoring the pres- the serving president of the United States that's how far this son of a bitch went. We deplatformed entire companies. And yet, somehow, it still remains the scourge that it is. As we all know, this led directly to the horrific events of January 6th, the attack on our capital and our democracy by insurrectionists motivated by former President Trump. That's right. Five lives were lost that day and more have been lost since. Actually, I'm not, is that true? Is it, was it five that were lost that day or is it one that was lost that day? Moving forward, though, uh, you, and, oh, actually, why don't I just just so you get a flavor, because this thing is rich with uh, Corinthian bullshit in here. I could scrub this entire thing and we could just pick out individual moments where people are justifying the destruction of First Amendment rights. Uh, here's a little bit of Soledad O'Brien. CNN reporting on the communities that he degraded, it was disheartening and insulting, and it was also only the beginning. We had entered an era where broadcasters would begin repeating and re-energizing lies and liars, an era that would set the stage for xenophobic and racist narratives that would take hold and polarize this country. You get an idea, right? I just randomly jumped into a point in this stream. And I, I reject the entire premise here. I would say a handful of news organizations covered election issues. Very, but even then, like the biggest of that group would be Fox News. And they took a very light hand. In fact, Tucker Carlson refused to even cover it. And when he tried to get evidence from uh, Sidney Powell, they had a big dispute and a spat during the middle of all of this. Hannity would be the exception here. One show. Fox News was the f- one of the was the first a television broadcast news agency to call Arizona for Donald Trump and effectively begin to call the election for Trump. That was Fox News. That was Fox News that did that. Do you remember that? 
So I reject this entire premise. That it was all of this media chorus that stoked xenophobia and caused the insurrection at the Capitol. I reject the entire premise simply because if you just look at it in volume, and people have measured this, there is nine times out of ten people that are talking the mainstream narrative than there anybody talking anything that's anti-mainstream narrative. It's just the, the measures are the people have done the math of airtime, and it's like four hundred hours to one topic to one hour. I, I'm, I mean, it's ridiculous. And this is throughout this entire thing as I just jump around. Uh, so I don't know what Soledad O'Brien's uh, thing was here. I'm not sure why she was brought in. But you see, they essentially what the what they want to say is that people are calling fire. Essentially, this we don't want to hurt free speech, but clearly this is the equivalent of people shouting fire in a crowded theater, and we have to do something. Extreme view of free speech that it's that the greatest protection against bad speech is more speech. That view is admittedly under fire, and indeed maybe a minority view today. But history has shown that public and private forms of censorship uh, do not produce better speech. Uh, it is rather a self-replicating, self-perpetuating path that only produces more censorship and more controlled speech. That's why I've encouraged you in my testimony not to proceed down that slippery slope towards censorship. And that was the only sensible thing in the whole thing, Jonathan Turley. <sighs> They had to do a whole analysis of disinformation and then coming along. So you have we have censorship to protect us. We have corporations electively enabling and enforcing censorship on their own. Facebook, Twitter, Google, Apple, others. Then you have Congress looking into the disinformation that's coming from any news outlet that doesn't cover the mainstream narrative. They're also going after chat platforms for not properly moderating. And now we're seeing this the threat of cybersecurity be twisted into justifying the NSA spying on American citizens. Listen to this clip. Cybersecurity experts sounding the alarm following the devastating hack of several government agencies last year. Top executives from multiple cybersecurity firms telling the Senate Intel Committee that similar cyber attacks are likely occurring in the U.S. right now. Lucas Tomlinson is live at the Pentagon with more. So, Lucas, how many companies were actually affected by this hack? Dana, the experts said over 17,000 companies have been affected, making this the largest cyber attack in U.S. history. The president of Microsoft says there's no doubt who's responsible. At this stage, we've seen substantial evidence that points to the Russian Foreign Intelligence Agency, and we have found no evidence that leads us anywhere else. Elite ninja Russian hackers. Yeah, that's right. So this is one of those stories, too, that gets really crappy coverage. 17,000 companies hacked. Most sophisticated hack ever. Government institutions have been breached. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I will have a link for you in the show notes. It's extensive. The extensiveness of the breach, i.e. how many companies have been breached, and what they got access to does not equate to the complexity or sophistication of the breach. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm getting dive-bombed by a, by a rich man who has a fun World War II uh, plane. I don't know why I have a studio next to an airport. Didn't think that one through. But think this through for a second. 
you could have something that that impacted a million companies and revealed the social security number, address, and birth date of every single citizen of the United States and what they make per month and paid in taxes. That does not necessarily mean it was a technically complex and sophisticated attack. The depth and breadth does not equal sophistication, and that is, that is what they are conflating here. Solar winds. so what they're calling this is a supply chain attack. Essentially, Microsoft Azure and SolarWinds had issues in different mechanisms and also VMware. They had software flaws. So the solar ones were particularly basic, really, really, it seems like in my personal opinion, negligence on some of the SolarWinds engineers on how their update systems worked and how their support staff followed up when a customer called in with concerns about a checksum failing on an update. There were clear systematic failures on SolarWinds' part that just left it vulnerable to attack. Same with Azure, same with VMware. VMware had issues that were documented with the Linux kernel that were vulnerable to attack. They didn't create these backdoors. They didn't engineer something like Stuxnet and deploy it to destroy reactors by making them go off kilter after being transmitted through an air gap. That's not what happened here. What happened here is they took known vulnerabilities, or they did even the slightest bit of reconnaissance, and they saw low-hanging fruit. And because SolarWinds enjoys massive market dominance, and so does Microsoft, and so does VMware, there were a lot of companies that didn't properly have patches and were vulnerable to this, which meant they figured out one solution and were able to apply it to multiple groups. One kind of attack applied to multiple groups. The fact that they stayed in for a long time does not mean it was a complex attack. The fact that they remained on the systems for a long time means that those systems didn't have proper monitoring, they didn't have proper intrusion detection, and they didn't have proper logging and review. That's what that means. It doesn't mean that they're elite super ninja hybrids that have been grown in a vat just for Putin's hacking intentions so that way they can pull off the largest cyber attack in American history one day. Just even thinking that's how it works is silly. It's a child's view of the way computer security works. It's a child's view, and the only reason why it goes anywhere is because no one in our public has any idea how technology works. And so the elite can just steamroll them with boogeyman concepts of elite Russian hackers. And Microsoft is more than happy to throw shade on Russia because guess what? Now we don't have to talk about how they screwed up. We don't have to talk about how SolarWinds or VMware screwed up. No self-analysis. Not our fault. Nation-state attack. Ninja hackers couldn't have done any different. Sorry about it. But yeah, let's go get them, boys. Who's responsible? At this stage, we've seen substantial evidence that points to the Russian Foreign Intelligence Agency, and we have found no evidence that leads us anywhere else. The CEO of FireEye, the company who first discovered the hack, which was launched from inside the U.S., says he's fighting a losing battle. We're all playing goalie and we're taking slap shots from Wayne Gretzky. I mean, the puck's going to get in the net sooner or later. And that's what's happening in cyberspace right now. Uh, folks are taking slap shots and literally there is no risk or repercussion to the folks doing it. You dumb idiots. You're just letting us get beat up. And I'm doing everything I can to protect your asses, says the contractor who makes money off it either way. This is the kind of dialogue they're having. 
This is Kevin Mandia, by the way. Go look that name up, Kevin Mandia, M-A-N-D-I-A. This is profiteering. That's what this is, straight up and simple. It's about a new kind of war profiteering. Who first discovered the hack, which was launched from inside the U.S., says he's fighting a losing battle. We're all playing goalie and we're taking slap shots from Wayne Gretzky. I mean, the puck's going to get in the net sooner or later. And that's what's happening in cyberspace right now. Uh, folks are taking slap shots and literally there is no risk or repercussion to the folks doing it. It's quite possible that there are active supply chain attacks ongoing right now, some of which we may know about, some of which are yet to be discovered. The, the NSA is prohibited from spying on domestic computers, making catching these hackers extremely challenging. Dana? It's an important story. Lucas, thank you. There you go, guys. We have to start having the NSA. I'm going to play that bit again there. Let me hit the replay here. I, we got to hear that bit again. We have to have the NSA turn their spying tools on us domestically to protect us from the ninja hacker, hackers. The, the NSA is prohibited from spying on domestic computers, making catching these hackers extremely challenging. Dana? It's an important story, Lucas. Thank you. we got to have the NSA start spying on us domestically to protect us from the ninja hackers who are exploiting software vulnerabilities. But then who is really a concern? Because that also seems to be a widening net. It's not just what we're censoring, but who we're censoring. And the words of a president, I've been told, matter. And President Biden has labeled military veterans as white supremacists. Focus on how to deal with the rise of white supremacy. And you see what's happening in the studies that are beginning to be done, maybe at your university as well, about the impact of former military, former police officers on, on the growth of white supremacy. Now, why would the former police officers and former military officers be considered white supremacy, supremacists? Is it, A, because they somehow um, are just, they just really don't like people of any other descent? Or could it be, B, they've been disenfranchised, they don't go along with what the crap that comes out of their government says, and they are extremely upset about how they've been taken care of, and they've realized they've been used as pawns in crap wars in the Middle East for the last 30 years. And so the government is becoming more and more worried about a growing population that they've been churning through who is trained in combat and knows that they are full of bullshit. But so we got to keep an eye on them as well. And, you know, it's not just a U.S. problem. So we better lock down everywhere because according to the United Nations Secretary General, he says Trump supporters and the like, well, they're a transnational threat, these former soldiers and white supremacists. I commend the Human Rights Council decision to report on systemic racism, accountability and redress and responsible in responses to peaceful anti-racism protests. Right. Peaceful protests. So there you go. He starts right here. This uh, secretary general with calling the protests that have been going on for about a year now 
um, peaceful, which I immediately think is a characterization that is not fair. And look forward to concrete action. We must also step up the fight against resurgent neo-Nazism, white supremacy, and racially and ethnically motivated terrorism. So many neo-Nazis out there. The danger of these hate-driven movements is growing by the day. Danger of these hate-driven movements. I'm starting to wonder if it isn't them who just disdain the middle class and poor. Let us call them what they are. White supremacy and neo-Nazi movements are more than domestic terror threats. Yeah, that's right. They're not just a problem in the United States. They are becoming a transnational threat. These and other groups have exploited the pandemic to boost their ranks. As he cites the pandemic as making this even more disastrous, as he does the very thing he's claiming they're doing, he's somehow claiming the white national groups have leveraged everybody being locked down and social distancing, I suppose, to boost their ranks. Now, I guess the way I could translate that is people who feel like their liberties have been destroyed and people who have been against the lockdowns are white supremacists. Is that is is that what he's implying? But yet the other protesters, they were peaceful. It's, it's confusing. It's growing by the day. Yeah, threats growing. It has called them what they are. Yeah. White supremacy and neo-Nazi movements are more than domestic terror threats. They are becoming a transnational threat. These and other groups have exploited the pandemic to boost their ranks through social polarization and political and cultural manipulation. Ah, so when the economies were... Cr oh, I must be one, right? Listen to me. Because I also feel like, geez, it was kind of a bad idea to do these lockdowns and not really get a lot of a net gain. I think the one thing you could argue the lockdowns really brought us was reduced hospital loads. And there is value in that. But we'd never had the conversation of, is that value worth destroying generations of small businesses? And I particularly feel like it's not because I am a small business owner myself and several of my family members are small business owners. And I've watched them for my entire life work their damn asses off for those businesses. And I just watched both of them lose them. And I I I. And I, I and I know that they employ their children and their children have people that they like it has employed generations of people and it's they're gone. It's gone now. It's gone. Forever. Done. I can understand why some people are upset about that. It doesn't mean that you're a racist. That's just ridiculous. Threats. They are becoming a transnational threat. These and other groups have exploited the pandemic to boost their ranks through social polarization and political and cultural manipulation. Today, these extremist movements represent the number one internal security threat in several countries. Number one internal security threat. Individuals and groups are engaged in a feeding frenzy of hate, fundraising, recruiting, and communicating online, both at home and overseas. <laughs> Feeding frenzy. I think his teleprompter got stuck there. In several countries. Individuals and groups are engaged in a feeding frenzy of hate, fundraising, recruiting, and communicating online, both at home and overseas, traveling internationally to train together and network their hateful ideologies. Ooh. They're networking. He goes on to say they're networking online and they are encouraged by leaders like Trump. He doesn't actually say Trump by name. So you see, it's uh, we got to make sure we start censoring white supremacists too, which is apparently anybody who doesn't think the lockdowns were a good idea. Incredible, incredible. And uh, you tell me. I'd like to know what are your thoughts now that we are 
so far into this, uh, do you think the lockdowns did provide enough value exchange? Uh, I think still my my overall takeaway is the idea could have been sound had it been done properly. But to do it properly, I think we would have had to sustain too much damage. And so when looking at our options and the culture of the United States, I don't think I, I don't think the calculus works out in favor of the lockdowns, in my opinion. But thankfully, I'm not the one that has to make these decisions. I just get to sit back and see how they play out. And I change my mind. You know, I'm going to totally just keep an eye on the evidence. It is interesting to see our friends across the pond are figuring out a roadmap to ease their lockdowns. Today was about waving goodbye to lockdown. Is this plan going to cost more jobs? But it will be June before we get there. The Prime Minister explaining to the nation an approach he calls cautious but irreversible. Walking into something much closer to normality, four steps each five weeks apart. But very clear the virus won't go away entirely. The threat remains substantial. He keeps saying it's there. These are irreversible steps. But then when he was asked if they were irreversible, he says basically, no, he he can't say that. But he has been. You've said over and over that today's plan will be irreversible. How can we know that this isn't an empty promise? If you have to lock down the nation again for a fourth time, would it be a resignation worthy matter? And to both scientists, is it possible, in the opinion of both of you, to have an irreversible unlocking? Sam, I can't guarantee that it's going to be uh, irreversible, but the intention is that it should be irreversible. And uh, that's why we're going uh, in the way that we are. That's why we're taking the, the steps that, that we are. And uh, I mean, I, just, I, people, a lot of people will say, yeah, it just sounds like it's not that irreversible. Um, but. I have a little bit better feeling this time, like it's really going to happen because we're allowed to talk about the economy again, which is interesting. Um, I know those of you who have been listening since the beginning of the pandemic know that I received a lot of pushback feedback. You know, this is this is about lives, not dollars a lot. And now even prominent Democrats are saying, well, we got to talk about the economy. I mean, you know, restaurants matter Uh, like your good buddy and your pal, Chuck Schumer. I have particular sympathy for small business people. My dad was a small business person. Oh, brother. He struggled. He paced the floor Sunday nights at 2 a.m. because he hated going to work. Now, his business was a little different than the restaurants, opposite a little bit. He was an exterminator. So instead of bringing alive things, he killed things. <laughs> I have to- No, okay, all right. Yeah, I I mean I I I had not played that clip for myself since uh I grabbed it earlier this week and, and man do I get a chuckle out of that. Sunday nights at 2 a.m. cuz he hated going to work. Now his business was a little different than the restaurants, opposite a little bit. He was an exterminator. So instead of bringing alive things, he killed things. Uh that explains that explains so much about you, Chuck. That that really kind of feels wow, it's that's amazing. Um, we'll see by the end of this week, though, it looks like a Democrat COVID relief plan will be passing the House. If all things go as planned, they think it, something could land on Biden's desk uh, as of soon as of the 14th, maybe. I mean, my God, it's taken forever, it feels like. But that's if all things go well. 
House Democrats are expected to pass President Biden's pandemic relief plan by the end of the week. But with such a narrow majority, there's little room for disagreement, even among Democrats. Congressional correspondent Rachel Scott joins me now for more on this. Rachel, good morning. One of the big points of contention is this $15 minimum wage. Now, Senator Bernie Sanders has said, who's advocating for it, has said that he's confident they can get it through. But when you look at the full picture, what do you think? Will this end up getting cut? And what are some of the other potential sticking points? Well, all, not all Democrats are on board with this, Diane. You have Senators Manchin and Cinema. These are two moderate Democrats there in the Senate, and they have said that they are not for pushing this $15 minimum wage in this COVID relief package. I think it's it's interesting because according to Biden, they have another economic package they want to do in a couple of months. So why would this not wait for that? Why bring up the cost of doing business for businesses when they're struggling to even keep the lights on? Why not get them relief and then move forward with the bigger economic package and negotiate that kind of stuff there? I mean, maybe maybe it's because they have the people that are keeping kids in cages working for minimum wage. I don't know. Why is the Biden administration reopening a temporary facility for migrant children in Texas? Well, um, first, uh, the policy of this administration, as you all know, but just for others, is not to expel unaccompanied children who arrive at the border. Uh, and the process, how it works, is that uh, Customs and Border Control... Uh, con- uh, uh, yeah, this is awkward. Uh, yeah, we're doing exactly that thing Trump was doing uh, that uh, Obama started. Uh- continue to transfer unaccompanied children to the HHS Office of Refugee Resettlement. That can take a couple of days. I just want to give this context. Of course. People need to understand the process. Yeah, you're too dumb. But because of COVID-19 protocols, uh, the like social distancing requirements. Wait, really? Really? The capacity of existing Office of Refugee Resettlement Shelters has been significantly reduced because, of course, you can't have a child in every bed. Um, there needs to be spacing, and we abide by those spacing to protect the kids um, who are um, living in those facilities for a short period of time. And to ensure the health and safety of these kids, HHS took steps to open an emergency facility to add capacity where these children can be provided the care they need while they are safely before they are safely placed with families and sponsors. Of course, which I'm sure will happen right away. But I'm having trouble understanding why it's safe for teachers and kids to go back to school, but it's not safe for the the kids that have been caught crossing the border and have nowhere to go. That seems like the White House is, is saying one thing is safe while the other is not safe. And they're saying that kids are not big vectors for disease spreading in schools, but yet they're saying in order to be COVID safe, they need to reopen the Trump facility but now don't call it cages don't call it it's not cages it's more like uh teenage hangout suites it's really just an optics issue guys there's an optics issue tonight for the biden administration over the housing of children traveling without their parents across the border from mexico into the u.s the washington post is characterizing the camp as a migrant facility however the during the trump years the headlines decried such placement as the caging of children The Biden team is rejecting the comparison. Chief Correspondent Jonathan Hunt reports tonight from Los Angeles. There has been such a surge in unaccompanied children crossing the border this year that the government is running out of places to house them. Hence the Biden administration's decision to reopen an emergency facility used during the Trump era, one that attracted a good deal of criticism from immigration advocates. (laughs) 
The camp at Carrizo Springs in Texas is designed to hold 700 children between the ages of 13 and 17. And yesterday, dozens were taken there in vans. The reopening of the camp prompting the Children's Defense Fund to tweet, quote, It's as true today as it was in 2019. Children do not belong in detention. The White House insisted today President Biden is not replicating Trump-era policies. This is not kids being kept in cages. Nearly 6,000 unaccompanied children were apprehended crossing the border in January. It's an interesting insight into how the, um, the, the Biden administration works. A lot of what they do is about branding. You know, they're not supporting the war in Yemen, but yet there's been more bomb drops and more support for Saudi forces than before Biden took office. Uh, we're 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 totally cool with kids going into school, but uh, we're not so cool about about the detention centers. It's all about COVID safety. Uh, it's not kids in cages. It's kids in suites. It's it's kids in facilities. You know, it's 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 tr they try to brand it as something else, but it's it's really the same horseshit they've been selling you all along. And and the networks don't really seem to care. That was Fox. Uh, CBS gave it a grand total of fifty five seconds that I could find. Fifty five seconds. They'll, they will they will spend an hour on other things, and they spend 55 seconds with a music bumper and some soft... Cr Actually, you know what? I'll play it for you. I don't know. This is just an example of, of how the media covers these kinds of stories about Biden when it was Trump and it was all about kids in cages. So the Biden administration has reopened a Trump-era facility to house migrant teenagers at the border, telling critics it's temporary. Journalists got a tour of the Texas facility in July 2019 before it closed, showing clean conditions. By the way, the B-roll that they're showing and the B-roll that <clears throat> was being played on Fox was collected in 2019 when Trump was in office. So I think that's just something worth pointing out. Now up to 700 accompanied, unaccompanied children, rather, between the ages of 13 to 17 will be housed there. The administration says the pandemic forced its reopening. It's nice of CBS to do their talking points for them. To ensure the health and safety of these kids, HHS took steps to open an emergency facility to add capacity where these children can be provided. They just like the masks, just like uh, the uh, shutdown for 15 days, and just like the National Guard in D.C., this is going to be temporary, guys. Care they need while they are safely before they are safely placed with families and sponsors. So. Our Ed O'Keefe pressed White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, who rejected any criticism that housing teens at the site was like holding kids in cages. Now we call it something else entirely. Something the Trump administration was accused of. Immigration advocates say these facilities cannot become the norm. And there you go. There is uh, CB. Oops, 54 seconds. 54 seconds of coverage. That's what they did on the whole thing while playing that stupid peppy news music and basically saying their talking points for them it's pretty gross um and it's there it's it's amazing how when they talk about how the facilities are clean they show the b-roll from 2019 which uh is when trump was in office uh but to justify why it's a clean operation under biden it's incredible <laughs> and nobody gives a shit really i guess because there's just enough there's out there's plenty of other things going on that it's just become normal but I, I, that doesn't mean that every now and then we don't catch something so this week uh i caught a i caught a story from uh well i caught two stories i caught a story from uncle joe that i want to share with you but i'll play that last i think instead i'm going to play this clip of biden's cia nominee the guy who'll be running the cia i think that matters 
And what he's focused on surprised me. It's something I think he should be focused on, but it's not what I expected him to answer. By the way, there is a lot of hearings that's been going on this week. Senate Intelligence Committee, in fact, today is hearing from President Biden's nominee to lead the CIA, William Burns. He's expected to have a fairly easy time in confirmation. But the U.S. is facing multiple intelligence threats from adversaries around the world. Burns' opening testimony made clear that he believes one country in particular poses perhaps the biggest challenge for America. As President Biden has underscored, outcompeting China will be key to our national security in the decades ahead. China? There are, however, a growing number of areas in which Xi's China is a formidable authoritarian adversary. Yeah, they are. They are very much our authoritarian authoritarian. What did he say? <laughs> I can't stop laughing because it's he basically just called us the same thing. Out competing China will be key to our national security in the decades ahead. There uh-huh. are, however, a growing number of areas in which Xi's China is a formidable authoritarian adversary methodically strengthening its capabilities to steal intellectual property, repress its own people, bully its neighbors, expand its global reach, and build influence in American society. See, the CIA knows he's getting in on our game. Don't get in. That's our game. That is our game. All right, uh, I'm going to share Uncle Joe's story with us. Good old classic story of boys being boys. Um, But before I wrap it up, I want to let you know that I've decided this week It's going to make it go a little long, but I've decided to include the overtime in the main show, in the main feed. I'm not going to do this very often because it not only does it like almost double the size of the show, but the whole point of the overtime is that it's an experimental space for me to try stuff out or watch a story that I don't think quite justified making it to the main show or or getting a longer clip in that I normally wouldn't play. And I want to leave the overtime space for that. So I'm not going to do this normally. But I wanted to let you know that these are being produced right now. I don't know if I'm going to do it forever, but if there's interest uptick, I will keep doing it. And I'm posting them at unfilter.tube. I'm trying to do every show with video clips when I can and with an overtime, which I often focus on video in the overtime. And that's all getting posted every week at unfilter.tube if you're interested. But before we go, how about a good old classic story from Uncle Joe back in the day when he was trespassing at the Capitol? What was that like, uh, walking into the great Senate chamber at 29 years old? You know, I walked in when I was 21, and I got arrested. I was a, it was a Saturday. I was down visiting some friends at Georgetown University. And uh, I came up on a Saturday morning because I was fascinated with the Senate. And they had a Saturday session. I walked up those days, no guards stopping everywhere. And, I, and they just got out of session. I walked in the back. All of a sudden, I found myself in the chamber, and I was stunned. I walked up, sat down in the presiding officer's seat. Guy grabbed me by the shoulder, said, you're under arrest. Oh, Joe. (laughs) Boys being boys, right? Just walking in and sitting down in the chair. What a rascal. Well, I'm sure that guy will never turn into anything. So thank you very much. If you're going to tune out now, you totally can. I'm not putting anything that you just can't miss in the overtime. So if you're ready to bail, I totally understand. I appreciate you spending a little bit of time with me, helping me sort through what I feel like is getting me down. I'm actually going to head out to the woods. Um, I may do, if I do a show next week, I may not, depending. If I do one, though, I'm going to do it live from the woods on Wednesday. So there's that. You can follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash unfiltered to get notifications when I go live or get in our right now Discord room. If you go to unfiltered.show slash Discord, there's a right now room, which is used for when we're streaming right now. 
could go in there and uh, I'll notify you before I start. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to feel it out. So just prepare yourself. And of course, you'll never miss an episode if you go to unfilter.show slash subscribe and you just get the RSS feed. Or you can use like that activity pub thing and subscribe over on the peer tube at unfilter.tube. I actually don't even know how that works. Probably doesn't work, really. But somehow some of you seem to have done it. Like the mastermind ninja Russian hackers that you are. Well, this is where you're going to peace out. Thanks so much for joining me on this week's episode. Otherwise, stick around. I have a fun overtime coming up, which uh, give you even more show. Thanks for being here. See you in a bit. done yet come on let's do overtime yeah we got more show well if you're new around here unfilter had uh, a tradition it had overtime in the past and it's been at one time it was behind a paywall uh, and then a little bit later on i realized no i wanted more people to get the information so we we brought it out in the main show after consultation with the patrons and now it's back again as its own little creative outlet for me. And one of the things that's a tradition here on the overtime, you know what it is if you've been listening for a while. You know what I'm about to say. You know what I'm about to say. Uh, we have ourselves a tradition. It is we start the overtime with the O Nancy segment. We may need some faith healers. <laughs> Precautions have been taken by our city. Uh, we know that there's a concern about tourism traveling all throughout the world, uh, but we think it's very safe to be in Chinatown and hope that others will come. It's exciting to be here, especially at this time, uh, to be able to be unified with our community. Uh, we want to be vigilant about what it might be on uh, what is out there in other places. We want to be careful about how we deal with it. But we do want to say to people, come to Chinatown. Here we are. We're, again, careful, safe, and come join us. Thank you to listener David who sent that in. Uh, pretty great a retro clip. There wasn't a lot going on in Nancy Town. She's laser-focused right now, guys. But there was one moment where she seemed a little rattled because she has been sort of swept up in these saying one thing and then saying another thing from the White House about kids going back to school. And uh, somebody posted this moment on YouTube, and I wanted to grab it for you. It's a fraction of the education funding in the COVID bill is just allocated for this year and much of it over the next 10 years. So how do you square that with the need to open schools with the funding if some of so much of it is well, down I, the road? I uh, don't place too much weight on uh, what the Republicans say, even though it seems to be a value to you to use as a question. But the fact is, is that this is the money that is needed 
This is the money that is needed. The $130 billion in K-12 will help provide immediate relief uh, to schools so they can safely reopen for in-person instruction. Oh, Nancy. Oh, she's having a tough time, but she's not the only one. Uh, her buddy Swollenwell from California may have to reveal some of the details about his relationship with that Chinese spy. Sandra, another Fox News alert now. House Republicans requesting an FBI briefing on California Congressman Eric Swalwell's past ties to an alleged Chinese spy. Axios reported back in December, you'll remember, that a Chinese national had reportedly been targeting politicians, including Democratic Congressman Swalwell. David Spunt reporting live from the Department of Justice just down the street from us this afternoon. Hi, David. Hi, John. Good afternoon. They specifically want a briefing from the head of the FBI, Director Christopher Wray. This is the letter that 14 Republicans sent to uh, Director Wray dated today. It's a little bit unusual because they're asking for a briefing about a colleague, a sitting member of Congress, not a national security event. However, well, I think you could argue it might be. Snitches get rewards. We want to thank you for turning folks in and making sure we are all safe. Everybody's favorite governor, Andrew Kuman. Uh, I almost said Cuomo. Uh, I honestly didn't think this shit against him was going to go anywhere with the with the um, with the uh, old people homes uh, deaths, and then, and then of course the miscounting. I thought you know he was too slick. He managed the PR situation. He was the left's hero when it came to COVID. He was the anti-Trump, but yet it still seems to be progressing. And I I realized perhaps where I had miscalculated. So I want to share it just with you really quick. Uh, I think it's the same thing that happened to Ted Cruz. Well, Ted Cruz got caught and shamed for going to Cancun. People are not as focused on Trump. And so actual other things are getting discussed. Some of which are incredibly boring, like Biden's dogs came up a couple of times this week. Seriously. I almost, almost played the clip for you. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it because it's so obnoxious, but let's just say Biden's dogs were the focus for a little bit. Uh, but also, Kuman is getting raked over this retirement home death scandal. And now, the thing that makes me think this is actually going to maybe take a little bit of skin off of him, I don't know if it's going to take him down, but the thing that's going to at least hurt is the big thing that is that, that drags anybody down in this day and age in public life, sexual assault allegations. Is here. We want to go out to some uh, breaking news that we are learning from our uh, Fox News channel where uh, bombshell allegations against Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York on uh, sexual harassment allegations. So we're going to I'm going to read that out to you right here on News Now from Fox right now. A former aide to Governor Andrew Cuomo is accusing the embattled New York leader of sexually harassing her, including unwanting kissing and touching, and says his top female staffers normalized this behavior. Come on, man. Yeah, that's not good, is it? That is not good for him. Although sometimes these things slide. Sometimes these old guys, they just say things they don't mean. Look, the range of challenges Europe and the United States must take on together is broad and complex. And I'm eager to hear, I'm eager to hear Nigger here next. What would he say? What would he say there? What would he say? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to move on. I'll let you replay it to figure out what he might have just said there. Uh, but he has demonstrated an ability to zone out and stare off into space when Fauci talks to him. 
This is from uh, the news cartoon junkie, and this here is a White House video that uh, he cut down. And it's Dr. Fauci, who is going over some of the most basic aspects of the coronavirus that we've all known since uh, April of last year. And he's explaining them to the president of the United States as if he didn't know any of these things. And I'm going to so, I'm so going to hope he already knew this stuff. And Biden is just staring off into space, completely zoned out. I will admit this is this is my most video of the clips is the protein of coronavirus. When you see the coronavirus, it has these spikes that come out, which is the reason they call it Corona for spikes of a crown of a of a. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Spikes of a crown of a of a. Yeah. OK. Now, this is what your body is currently making antibodies against when you got vaccinated with the mRNA. Because the vaccine that you got that you're going to hear about. He's kind of talking to the president like he's a child, not like he's a savvy man who's on top of everything, but like he's a child that needs to be managed. In a couple of minutes for the people who actually made it is an mRNA, which is the coding component that tells the body to make a protein. You had this injected in your arm. It then started to make this protein, which is the spike protein. Now, this has to be in the right shape and confirmation. Oh, I think he just nodded off there for a second. He, yeah, he just, Biden just nodded off for a second. And to hear about that from one of our scientists. If it's in the wrong confirmation, your body's going to make a very poor immune response. In the right confirmation, it makes a really, really good response. There you go. The president learned how vaccines work and why the coronavirus is uh, called the coronavirus and has spikes on it. I'm going to hope maybe he knew some of that. Maybe one of his uh, meetings before he got into office could have covered that. One of the stories that was sent into the show the most this week was these papers that came out that showed that Western governments were going after Russia with negative information intentionally. This this is like somebody coming into a casino and telling me that there's gambling going on. I just was like, yeah, okay. But I will play this just because I, I got this from multiple people, so I think there's some interest out there plan was or is simple enough. The British government and its agencies recruit independent media, sometimes even design and direct their programming, manage them in order to, and I quote, weaken the Russian state. How do I get in on this, this hot independent Putin money action? Like, uh, uh, what do I got to do? I, I'm playing your theme song. <laughs> What else do I got to do to get some of that Putin cash? Government and its agencies recruit independent media, sometimes even design and direct their programming, manage them in order to, and I quote, weaken the Russian state. It's all in the leaked papers. Oh, oh, I see. Hmm. Yeah, okay. This isn't Putin money. This would be intelligence agency money where I do anti-Putin pro... All right, all right. How do I get some of this uh, CIA GoFundMe? Let's do it. The Foreign and Commonwealth Office is looking for an implementer or consortium to scope, design, deliver, and evaluate a program of interventions that will enhance the skills and capacity of Russian journalists. This project will support a wider regional Her Majesty's government program to counter the Russian government's narrative and domination of the media and information space. I love the idea 
that the Russian government dominates the media and information space. Can we soak that statement in right there? Oh, man, do you smell that? That's like, it, that's not just horse shit right there. That's not just like, mm, that's horse shit. That's like the horse just shat and it's still kind of moist and it's just really stinky. That's what the, this is like really stinky horse shit. Like, come on. Okay. The, I, the Do they have a platform? Arguably. They have a platform. I would say they have a platform that's less influential than Al Jazeera. Less influential than Al Jazeera. I would say that's that's evident. Al Jazeera has a much, 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 much larger reach. And who funds that? Who funds that? So the Russian they have this they have this rinky dink RT operation that has that has been delegitimized and pushed off into the corner hole of the news media empire. And then what? They've got some trolls on Twitter. (laughs) So there's even more. In essence, what these papers paint is a picture of the British government perverting independent media, twisting their reporting to suit Britain's needs and wants, targeting those with weaker will or opinions, the young, and using them to subvert older generations. That's why... Oops, that's why you got to go to patreon.com slash unfiltered to support the show, because otherwise I might get that sweet CIA uh, GoFundMe money to uh, report on negative things about Putin. Or Putin, you got to give me that. Somebody, somebody better buy my interest at patreon.com slash unfiltered. <laughs> All right, just one last thing here. This is a sort of a shortened overtime since I'm attaching it to the main show this week. Uh, I want to do a QAnon check-in with you guys. Let me start with what we think is the most important thing you're going to see on the beat tonight. QAnon, QAnon. QAnon, 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 This is a conversation we'll be having for quite some time. All right, so let's talk about QAnon. This is obviously uh, very dangerous. Uh, You know, they're clearly white supremacists, too. So they're a transnational threat on top of everything else. So I thought, let's go inside QAnon. And we always talk about it as this nebulous group, right? But we never really hear from, like, people that are part of the group that consider themselves QAnon followers. Because the reality is they're just lost, simple people who just want some kind of truth to follow. And they can't believe what the federal government's telling them, and they can't believe what CNN is telling them, and they don't believe what the New York Times is telling them, and they don't believe what Dr. Fauci is telling them. So who are they going to believe? They're going to believe whatever they can go find on their own. It's not radicalization, it's desperation. And this gives you insight into where these people are right now, because the people who are still very carefully following the Q plan are really beginning to question What the hell is going on? This whole thing seems like it's gone to shit. People are getting upset at me, some people. This is Deanna Lorraine. She's well known in that circle. She ran for Congress. She's dangerous because she was she was somebody she was a QAnon follower who was running for Congress. She's uh, written a book called Taking Back America. And her Q faith has been shaken because they think, you know, Deanna You need to just trust the plan. You need to continue to trust the plan. And Q said to trust the plan. Uh, President Trump is just waiting for the right moment to to pounce and make his attack. 
and everything's going to be taken care of. The military is going to arrest Joe Biden and and take over. And then Trump will be back in charge soon. And I want that to happen. I pray for that to happen. I, I'm hoping that this happens. And nobody who, nobody, I mean, I, I've been a follower of this idea and this plan since day one for years. And I've had President Trump's back for since day one and sacrificed a lot for it. Lots of family, friends, work, money, everything. It's actually kind of sad, isn't it? And now she's questioning the whole thing. She sacrificed, she said as herself, friends, family, opportunities, money. I've been a follower of this idea and this plan since day one for years. And I've had President Trump's back for since day one and sacrificed a lot for it. Lots of family, friends, work, money, everything. But, you know, we also have to be realistic at the same time and look at what the reality is that's in front of us today. And I, for one, am sick of just looking at clues and taking guesses and kind of following down a rabbit hole. So these aren't dangerous white supremacists that are a transnational threat. They're confused and lost people who are trying to make sense of what is a crazy nation. And what's wild, and they are the proof, is that the conspiracy series, you think, I don't know what my, my tongue is just done for the day. The conspiracy theories are more believable than the information that comes out from officials. That's the core problem. And people, they... They have this issue where once they start to believe something, they kind of only take in information that reaffirms that. It doesn't make them dangerous. It doesn't even make them stupid. It just makes them human. Where it leads to nothing. And there's just a lot of broken promises that are not delivered. There is a lot of, of hopium that never gets fulfilled. And... I want to, you know, you can you can hope for something to happen and pray for a miracle to happen for a country, but you can also look at the facts in front of us today and the reality and be grounded in that reality. Yeah, at this- I think the I think the the QAnon effectiveness, the longer Trump remains um, out of office, not executing "quote unquote" the plan, the less powerful that group is too. But the core issues that led to the riot, the core issues that lead to people following something like QAnon, the core issues that lead to people not trusting vaccines, the core issues that cause all of that stuff and much more. I mean, I could sit here and just run off a list for 15 minutes, right? None of that's getting fixed. You know, one of those things, one of the things that did stick out about me at that impeachment trial is that our politicians have really been fast and loose with the facts and the hostile incendiary language for a long time on both sides. And if we wanted to look at ratcheting down the tone a little bit and maybe dialing down people's anger, the words of the politicians and the media dialing back right there, that would be a good start. I'm not asking for newspeak. I'm just saying let's get rid of the hyperbole. And all that, like the, all the talk about kids in cages was a great example of what used to be just out of control hyperbole, and it's not gone yet. It's still there. Politicians are still utilizing it today, even in those events and those conferences that I watched in those hearings. <clears throat> it's still happening. The words of our politicians are going to have an effect 
on the way the public discourse proceeds. It's just, it's so obvious that it almost sounds silly when I say it. And on that note, I'll leave you there. I'm going to play a, a what the F, a WTF bra uh, song clip to take out the overtime. If you liked the overtime and you want to catch more of it, just keep checking out Unfiltered.tube. I'm going to keep messing with the experiment for a little bit longer. It's a great way to catch some video clips that didn't make it in the main show and all of that. So I hope you'll do that in the future. Thanks for joining me. See you next time. This is uh, looking at inside. Oh, look at this. These protesters are inside Statuary Hall. This is an incredibly dangerous situation that's unfolding here in the United States. It's uh, stunning, Wolf. It's absolutely stunning. And it's quite frankly dangerous. Uh, President Trump could stop this with one tweet. The words of the president matter. This was a fraudulent election. At the best, can inspire. We love you. You're very special. The words of the president matter. It was a landslide election, election. At the worst, begin in sight. We're going to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. Sorry, at this hour, our democracy is under unprecedented assault. Unlike anything we've seen in modern times, all of you have been watching an assault. Let me be very clear. The scenes of chaos at the Capitol, disorder, it must end now. I call on President Trump. Step up. Go on national television now. The work of the next four years must be the restoration of democracy, of decency, honor, respect, the rule of law. Just plain, simple, decency. The words of the president matter. This was a fraudulent election. At the best, can inspire. We love you. You're very special. The words of the president matter. It was a landslide election, election. At the worst, begin in sight. We're going to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. I know your pain. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us, and everyone knows it, especially the other side. It was a landslide election. There's never been a time like this where such a thing happened, where they could take it away from all of us. We have to have peace, law, and order. We have to respect our great people in law and order. So go home. Get up! We love you. You're very special. We love you. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated. Go home and go home in peace. The words of the president matter. This was a fraudulent election. At the best, can inspire. We love you. You're very special. The words of the president matter. It was a landslide election, election. At the worst, they can incite. We're going to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. Get up!